Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by WitchSchool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. And good evening, everyone. And if you're listening to this podcast when it's fresh and new, um, know that uh, which goes to be again their lockout in just a few short days. And after it's come back, it's going to be a magnificent, brand new, oh my gosh, all too much money spent site. And so, yeah, get excited. I know October people have asked us, why did we choose October? Well, it's the way it just came up in the schedule. Remember, a lot of people don't care about Halloween. It's tragic. It's true, but they don't. For them, October is just October. Um, but talking about that sort of thing, as you know, um, I'm not in Chicago for this month. I'm in Salem working hard, working on the Ed the Pagan show, working on a lot of different ideas. And I'm having a good time. But I got a very fortunate thing is that I want to make sure that we are still covering our favorite city in the world, Chicago. But we have so many great and powerful people. And now I got a chance to, uh, um, with somebody whom I've never interviewed before. And I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm really excited about it because this, kind of lo- this sounds like a lot of fun. So with no further ado, I want to go ahead and bring on the glam witch himself. Michael, I hope you got this right. Turkeys. Turkeys. Come on, push button. There we Hello. go. Hello. There you are. Yes, these digital buttons take a little longer than real ones. I miss my old buttons, I tell you. <laughs> um, no problem. So, yes, well, welcome aboard. I, I'm grateful to have you. And as you know, um, you are now, is this your, this is not your first book, or is it your first book, The Glam Witch? This is my first mm-hmm. book. Very, very first book. Oh, okay. And it's really, really cool is it's not only my first book, but it's my publisher's first book as a publisher as well. So um, we're breaking all and, the records with uh, with firsts. And, and who is your publisher? Go ahead, why don't you introduce uh, That's very it, interesting. <clears throat> that would be a first. Yeah. Um, so I my publisher is through Which Way Magazine, um, which is now uh, has a new imprint, which is Which Way Publishing. So... Um, right. Yeah, it's a so for anybody that's not familiar with Witch Lane Magazine, it's a really great online um, witch and and pagan um, periodical that comes out once a month uh, that talks about different lifestyle um, aspects of the craft. Um, and uh, it I want to say that it's been going on for three and a half, four years now, four actually I think. Um, but I've been. Uh, uh, a contributing writer for the magazine um, since the, I want to say November 2017. Um, and it was through writing with them that we got to talking and uh, this this book came into existence. 
So I'm really excited. It's gotten a lot of really good feedback so far, um, and it's really close to my heart and something I'm very, very passionate about. So I'm, I'm happy that a lot of people are becoming really inspired by it. Well, let's go ahead and back this up a little bit. The Glam Witch is a great name. Yes. I think it's very much answered today. But how did you become the Glam Witch? Ah. Yeah, let me give you the bridged version of it. Well, I grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago, um, excuse me, in Park Forest, Illinois, if you're familiar with it. And uh, it was there that I grew up, and I was this odd little child who really, really loved um, the moon and snakes and Barbie dolls and anything witch-related. Um, so you, uh, we had a, it all kind of wrapped up in there, and as we go on with the story, it's like that'll make a lot more sense. But, um, you know, I really got uh, hooked into witchcraft through the glamorization of it in Hollywood. This took place in the, the 90s, and um, as shows started to start talking about witchcraft and um, and movies, uh, you know, I just kind of really saturated myself in the archetype of the witch. I loved the idea of witches. I thought they were fabulous, powerful, and everything that I felt like I wasn't <laughs> growing up. So they were really, really cool, like, personas to channel and, and bring forth. Um, but I even, like, right before, uh, I even would say that I got – dug deep into what modern witchcraft is today. Um, I ended up stumbling across a graphic novel um, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer at my local um, bookstore. And in it, I flipped over the pages, and there's this beautiful, like, luxurious, um, very elegant and fascinating um, character uh, who was Lilith and was considered Adam's first wife and was the mother of all vampires, and she was there to destroy the world. But I was, like, super, super obsessed with her. And uh, eventually, once I started to dig a little bit into um, witchcraft, Wicca, I, uh, I started to see her name more. Um, and I really – it wasn't until I, I picked up Fiona Horne's book, Witch and Magical Journey, that I really – got saturated into all things witch, witchcraft and did my self-dedication ritual and, and really pursued um, life as a, as a witch. And this is me at about 11 years old at this point. Um, and I, uh, I would continue to um, explore Lilith and, and what Lilith had to, to offer. But, of course, this was a couple years ago. So the Internet wasn't like what it was. There wasn't much documented um, research on her, or I'm sorry, not necessarily research. There was a lot of like research, but it was just kind of hard for me as this young kid to get it. Um, but there weren't mon- many occult books that talked about her, or at least what I could find. And what I was finding always referenced her as a demon, um, really dark, uh, satanic stuff, and that wasn't what I was interested in. So I put the idea of her way in the back burner and um, just kind of continued on trying to figure out what interests I had within the craft, but her name would constantly come up. Um, I constantly find myself being saturated with something that was Lilith-based. Turn on television, there'd be a character named Lilith or an, um, a version of it like Lily. And um, eventually I answer her call, and um, I really started to develop my own personal uh, path as a witch and as a devotee to Lilith. And um, so that's what the book, The Glam Witch, is all about. Um, it's about my personal path as a witch. It's essentially my book of shadows that's um, 
gifting to the world um, and giving Lilith as an, as an offering to um, her and the world and the universe and trying to be of service uh, within the community because she's got such a presence. Um, she continues to unfold in the media um, and there's interest, but she still remains so misunderstood and she's so such an enigma <laughs> within the community. Um, so I wanted to be able to present something that really gave rich information on her um, <clears throat> from a very empowering standpoint. And so when I say glam, you know, and I call myself the glam witch. It's kind of like a, a double-edged meaning for me. One glam is, you know, like glam rock. It's glamorous. We look at the word glamour, and it was the original version of, like, what a witch's spell was. When glam started, or glamour was, was used, the original name meant a witch's spell, an act of enchantment back in the 1700s, I believe. And it wasn't until 1939 that it got linked to Hollywood culture. Um... So I always kind of laugh when I talk about, like, glamour magic because I'm like, well, glamour is a witch's spell, so it's kind of a double negative. But um, I've always been drenched in aesthetic, love aesthetic, um, loved the little Barbie dolls growing up and all the little fun, glamorous things. I started working at Glamour Shop right out of high school. And um, and so when I was trying to define what my path was and, and figuring out what my label would be within the community, I was going through some um, – old notes that I had on Lilith that I had collected. And there was um, one from Doreen Valiente's and ABC of Witchcraft where she references Lilith as the dark glamour of the moon. And it was then I was like, ding, 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 jackpot. Like, glamour has always been attached to me. Um, and then when I was playing around with words, um, I realized that glam could also be an acronym for the great Lilithian arcane mysteries, um, which is essentially what I now call my path and what the book is about. So that, in a nutshell, is how my origins on how I got here. Wow, that is really well done. And I must say, I'm impressed. Um, well, thank you. Well, I, um, and I'm impressed not just because I think that, that you put it well together. Sorry, is that you brought forth a very interesting idea. And that's the idea yeah. of the, one of the original versions of the word magic or the first spell was a glamour. Because I've read mm-hmm. that in uh, older, older fairy tales have about the witch cast as a glamour upon them. Um, yep. One of the early Sleeping Beauties was not, she didn't fall asleep under a spell, she fell asleep under a glamour. One of the earliest mm-hmm. uh, versions of Sleeping Beauty. And she wasn't covered in a forest, she was covered in a brer. And I always tell people that. Because there mm-hmm. was a big difference because she was covered in a brer. What's that? <laughs> oh, it's a much more toxic version. It's not a, not a little plan. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, and the original early language of, of witches was a very beautiful, very rich thing when it was talked about in the literary world. They were they were always mm-hmm. glamorized, weren't they, in some sort of literature? Hmm? Yeah, definitely. And uh, it was always something that was supernatural and enchanting and just completely spellbinding um, that would draw you in mm-hmm. and lure you in. Um, and essentially, I mean, yeah, we use it slightly in a different terminology today, but it still kind of does the same thing. I mean, it's this richness, this this kind of surreal, extravagant type of a lifestyle, but at the same time, that can be very magical as well. So um, I really, really love that term. I know some people feel as though it's more like frivolous or it maybe does us a disservice um, because we link it to well, like Hollywood culture and stuff, but... 
uh, I strongly disagree with that. <laughs> well, I want to come back around to that because I think that's a very important point. Um, I think mm-hmm. that that whole the whole idea that you're embodying is a fantastic archetype. But I want to get back around to something that you said. I want to take you all the way back. And you said something okay. about the glamour of the witches and that you were glamorized by Hollywood witches. What What is the first witch yeah. you remember seeing on TV? Oh, my gosh. Was it, was it oh, TV? Um, was it, so it was, was, it was it definitely in movies, and I don't – it was movies, and I don't remember which one I saw. Okay, so it was either – I want to say that it was either Snow White or it was The Wizard of Oz. But I have a big feeling it was The Wizard of Oz. Um, and I just love, love, love The Witch. I love The Wicked Witch. And now it's funny because, like, I dress more like Glinda, the Glitter Witch. But um, <laughs> I, well, I, I just love – I loved her. Um, all green faced and everything, and then even in Snow White, I remember as a, a kid, they were playing it at the local theater, um, and I dragged my mom there to like let me see it with her multiple times. Like I couldn't get enough of that movie and the, the glamorous queen that was a witch, and she had her her fun cauldron and her her books and her like um, her little witch space in her basement, and then she would turn into that. The crown. Um, I love that. And then, of course, Hocus Pocus was a big one for me. And um, sure. and then from there, kind of, it, what else did I see? The Witches um, with Angelica Houston, of course. Um, and then a, a bunch of, like, horror films that I convinced my mom or my dad when he was around to let me watch. Um, because it was literally, like, if a witch was in the movie, I wanted to see it. I needed to see it. I felt compelled to see it. Um, and then that really elevated into strong feminine leads. So like Xena was big. So not necessarily witches, but god goddesses and that whole idea was played around in that show. And I loved that. And then of course that led to Buffy, which kind of then led me to Lilith and then eventually in like season two or three and they started using Wicca and witchcraft interchangeably while charms came on. Um, then throwing practical magic to the mix the craft, all of it. It was just this explosion of witches that were happening um, on the media screen. And, um, you know, eventually that was, you know, I saw a book, I, I, like the very first book that I ever picked up on it that I convinced my mom for was Teen Witch by Silver Ravenwolf. And, um, you know, I was having a hard time in, in school. I was coming of age. I was this young, queer, weird kid that was like, I was creepy because I liked snakes, but I was also weird because I liked girl things and pink. And um, so I was very outcast and, and singled out and trying to navigate um, junior high hell. <laughs> and, uh, yep. you know, I just felt like there, like I've always been, I, I, I always felt like the witch was powerful. It was something that I just feel like I wasn't. And then I started to explore it more and I realized it was a lot different than what Hollywood was talking about. Um, but I was still very, very fascinated with it, especially with there being a goddess, because I always connected more to femininity rather than masculinity. And um, I also love the idea that, you know, all acts of love and pleasure are rituals to the goddess. If there's any goddess that that belongs to, Lilith was, is high on the list there. Um, but I, I was just like, I could feel safe and I could feel comfortable um, coming out of two closets. <laughs> so I came out of the, the gay closet and the witch closet, broom closet at the same time. Um, and I was very happy to have very supportive family and 
you know, it even just kind of joked recently about how, you know, for Christmas, like the first year I was into everything, I, I asked for a cauldron or something or what, some witch tools, um, and they got them for me. It was really kind of cool. Like I know other people, other people's families maybe wouldn't have been so kind and open. So I'm very fortunate for that. Um, and I just have continued on in a very solitary fashion, and it wasn't until um, 2017 that I really started to emerge myself back into um, the community uh, with writing and going to different events and things. So, and I went on a long tangent there. <laughs> you did nothing of the sort. You provided valuable information, and actually – I think what's really important about your story is that it's a big, strong inspiration to other mm-hmm. young men and women who are facing similar problems right now in junior high. People are surprising. I'm on TikTok now, guys. And as everybody knows, yeah. I've always been the youngest part of my community uh, through formation mm-hmm. of witch school or whatever. Uh, that. And actually, you are, you are somebody I actually said is coming into our neighborhood and was taking leadership. Not you as an individual. Mm-hmm. But what you just, your story is about. Um, for me, it was Bewitched, the television series The Witch. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Okay, and for us, and I always tell everybody, it's a story about a woman who was told in order to have a normal life, had to give up her power and live in black and white. And before the story mm-hmm. was, up, was over, she was in full color and in control of her own self. Um, yeah. And she was two witches. And I feel that for a lot of people, and if people don't understand, within there is that is the sacred journey that if every woman at the time had to make to be liberated. Hmm? Yeah. And uh, and the series really goes through that whole process, unbeknownst to people. It was quite the mystery of how she buried mm-hmm. her magic. Finally, to the end, she was like, forget it. I'm queen of, I'm queen of witches. I'm going to Salem. I'm doing all this stuff. Hmm? And here's yeah. my daughter who's doing it. And here's my family. If you don't like it, well, screw it. Um, <laughs> and for me, that was always a very, that's another a sort of that sort of modern tale, and it affected a lot of actors. I'm going to presume mm-hmm. that you're millennial. I'm not sure actually how old you are, but um, we don't have stages on here, so that's a. I found that I'm thirty. I just celebrated my thirtieth year this year, oh, um, so I think that it's technically right. does make me fall into the millennial. Theory. I know exactly Era. where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. You are millennial. <clears throat> solid, positive yeah. uh, leadership. You're taking a 30, which is such a traditional age for leadership. People don't forget in the past. 30 was like the leadership age. And you lived to be 45. Yep, totally. Yeah, but people forget that at 30 <laughs> years old, you were, you were expected to take leadership. Um, if mm-hmm. any leadership you're going to take, you're supposed to be like, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yes. And so let me ask you about, okay, so I know one thing I noticed is that you talked about the black moon. And this is one of the more controversial yeah. subjects in our pagan community. So, can so you describe, in thought, what I concept? Know. Because, so with, with the, what uh, okay, I so talked no, no, about no, no. is the so, black moon. Okay, go on. I'll, so I only have a meme connected to your book. That is a promotion okay. piece about the black moon. That's literally what I have. I have you with kind of a semi-outrageous meme out on the internet. Remember, we this is the way we communicate today. So yeah. I have really no idea what that actually means, other than it penetrated my um, awareness 
uh, through mm-hmm. my social media that you have a concept called the Black Moon. Fair enough? Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. So the Black Moon, um, so what I talk about specifically in my book is the astrological Black Moon that's connected with Lilith. So in all of our natal charts, we have what's called Black Moon Lilith. Um, as well as two other astrological pieces um, that Lilith has governance over. So I think it's really interesting, too, because this such a fearsome type entity has three astrological points that's in everyone's chart. So there are asteroid Lilith, dark moon Lilith, and black moon Lilith. And um, she, in all of the capacities, represents our shadow self, um, that which is being repressed, um, our wounds, our rage, and how we kind of retaliate and reemerge um, from that that situation in in life. Um, so the chapter that I write on shadow magic uh, really explores um, digging deep into those those two aspects, uh, those three aspects, and kind of a maiden mother crone relation to help bring um, your shadow into the light, not to um, heal it, not to do any of that kind of stuff, but just literally integrate it into your life. Um, and that's the most healthiest thing that you can do. Um, but there is also, I think if I'm, if I'm correct with what you were talking about, the image that you were talking about was we just had a black moon, I want to say like two, three weeks ago, where it's um, two new moons in one month. So, you know, when we have two full moons, right. um, it's a blue moon. And then the black moon is when there's two um, so I think that might be what you're talking about. And that's just, um, for me, it doesn't necessarily have so, so much significance other than it's just a very potent new moon. So lots of new moon energy there, especially when you tie it into whatever the astrological, um, correspondence of the moon is. So I believe it was, um, a, the black moon in Libra, if I'm correct, okay. new black moon in Libra. So that's so very interesting. It's very interesting. I want people to, to know that there was a big difference. I wanted you to be able to explain that very well. And it had very much with more of the astrological <laughs> object. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, to be known. So the black moon, the double new moon of a uh, black moon, is a Chicago mm-hmm. ritual theater practice from the 1992 oh. called the Dark Theater Coven or the Black Moon Coven. And they decided. Interesting. I had no idea theater. about that. Most people don't. Yeah. It's actually been documented. And uh, my, our, my group in Chicago hmm. from the Avalon Nightclub because we were the nightclub kids. So when, when I was my early 30s, I was the nightclub. I was Ed the Urban Terrorist. So I had my glam <laughs> period. I had a lion's mane and I was big. I wore a leather jacket and I went to rock clubs and I did tarot reading inside rock clubs for rock bands and rock people. Had a radio That's show. That's super fun. I was. Cool. And, and very much, and I remember, and the thing that I think applies to this, I remember, because we talked about because I had a glamour at the time, and we literally called it a glamour as a spell, as a Pacific spell. And mm-hmm. I had a lion's fin that I would wear. So I would go out and I had a lion's mane, and I had it my career for years. When I lost my lion's mane to the Halloween accident, um, my mm-hmm. career as a limelight accident, oh, yeah, I did, absolutely. I tried to make a mask. And the adjective got into my hair. My hair was down between mm. my shoulder blades, around my shoulder. Typical 80s super hairstyle. And it got really deep into the front. And and the ladies were like, oh, no, we we can't get it out and everything else. I said, okay, you're just going to have to cut my hair. 
So we've done two and a half hours of picking. Finally, after all the blood, the bleeding, they, they, they came oh. out. They saved, my, they saved my head. They cried. I just get life. That's life. Hmm? Yeah. Uh, but I got my mask out of it, so it was well worth it to me. Um, <laughs> but, but it did. But it ended that glamour that I had. Um, mm-hmm. After that, I got to be much more. I went and actually became much more serious about my career. My career, this sort of magical career as a magical tarot card reader, the urban tarotist, kind of petered out right after I lost that hair that everybody worked on. I mean, and that was it. Everybody worked on it. It was a hairstylist, my wife at the time, everybody in the club knew me. It was just a part of that entity. And then I would put the mm-hmm. pin on. And then when I didn't need it, I would just flatten it down. It was just like a really long hairstyle. I would flatten it down and put it in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. But when I fluffed it up, I was the lion. I was very good at it. And it was very interesting. And I, I've, I've always said that was the best glamour spell I ever cast in my life. It lasted about three years. Um, mm-hmm. And in that time, we did a thing called the Black Moon. We did all sorts of experimental theater. Um, so you're from you know, wow. Chicago. And, you, and you're very much in that sort of uh, Chicago... And Chicago pagans have had a tendency to towards the darker, but what other people would call darker or more root forces. And I find it very interesting that you, at, at, at the same thing, was very much into this, um, what, what people would call a darker or stronger force and more than most witches would deal with. Witches will deal with Hecate. Mm. Some will deal mm-hmm. with Eris. But Lilith is a tough one to deal with. I know a few Lilithians. <clears throat> And they're all very individualized. Yes. They're very iconic. Hmm? Can you talk to that? Yes. <laughs> Which is a great way to say it, yeah. And um, what I love about it, even when talking to other practitioners who work with Lilith, um, you know, we all, at the very end of the day, like we, there are commonalities to each one of our practices where you know that we are working with the same entity, but we all see her in such a different way. And she pulls something out of us all very, very different. So I was talking to one person and they were like, it's so weird because like my work with Lilith or like my energy that I have with her is like a a bloody cave, but yours is like, like a rose garden under moonlight. And I was like, yeah, you're very, very right. Um, and I think a big part of that is because Lilith does represent all of this independence and she represents freedom and she's um, very solitary. Uh, and um, that's definitely me and where I'm coming from. So, you know, uh, and what I did with this book, what I'm, I'm hope, hoping to do is because we hear, again, so much more darker stuff about her. And um, some of it that's true. There's some of it that I question and um, argue, or not necessarily argue, but um, I kind of give alternatives to it. For example, like, you know, if we look at some some of the biggest ones about her, or her being a child killer, right? Because that was what the myths were saying at the time. But there were so many other myths, and her history goes back so much further than that. And if we look at what she really represented at that time, 
prior to it, she represented freedom of sexuality. You know, she was a priestess to Inanna and Ishtar's sacred sex temples, um, sexuality from a pleasurable standpoint. So if the culture at that time was looking at, you know, you could only have sex in wedlock. You could only have sex to bring children into the world. If Lilith was the representation of having sex for pleasure, not for procreation, then yes, you can spin it to the fact that she's a child killer. So I don't look at her in that avenue of she was out there murdering children. <laughs> but um, I look at it in a completely different way. Um, but that's not to say that Lilith doesn't have harsher, more negative aspects to her. I mean, I, I do say in the book, too, I mean, I feel like her energy is very much like my my blood mother, you know, um, tough, tough love, full of tough, tough love. That's where we get that dark goddess energy where it's, you're going to have to get through this. And like, there's not going to be any kind of babying. If you are calling upon me to fix a situation, then you better come to it with an action plan on what you're going to do. And also realize it's probably not going to go that way. So what are you going to do about it? What action are you going to take? It's not this lovey dovey, um, okay, sure, I'll help you for the small price of an infant taken in incantation. Um, it's a lot deeper and darker. All right, but let me stop what you right it? there. Because, let me stop you right there because you are cool. probably getting into the really highest levels. So let me tell you the number. So let's go ahead with the number one myth or story of Lilith that everybody seems to know. And that is yes. the first wife of Adam. And she mm-hmm. walked on top and get rejected from that. <laughs> right? Is that yeah, so the, the, the original story. Hmm? Hold on. The, the, your, our phones cut out. There was a weird disconnection. What was your last question? Oh, I was just asking about this most common myth. Can you tell us, give us some insight into it? Yeah, the, the oh, Adam yes, absolutely. divorce. So this, so that story actually was written in a book that was called The Alphabet of Ben Sarah, um, and it was from the 7th century uh, CE. And it was really kind of a satirical story um, that was written, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that they started to realize and question um, that Genesis uh, had a couple of errors in it, some plot holes <laughs> about how God had made the earth and man and woman. And then in the next chapter, it talked about how, oh, well, you know, here's Eve and here's the the right woman that will pay attention. So they kind of needed to pull the story together. Um, and so that's, that was the purpose of this, as well as trying to tell women, you know, this is what you need to do, um, or you don't ever want to be this Lilith type of an entity, you need to be subservient, or otherwise you're going to be banished. So the story that we all know and love about Lilith is that she was um, created just as Adam. They were both created from the earth at the same time, and they were quarrelsome because Adam thought that he was more potent and better than her because he came from clean sand and she came from the filthy mud of the earth. But I just think that's funny because sand is so infertile. And, um, you know, her coming from this, this mud, earth mother representation. Um, so I was, I kind of laugh at that. But, anyways, you know, she, she oh. was saying that she was not going to be submissive to him during sexuality, and he was like, no, you must lay below me. So she, and there's a couple different versions of it. Some say that she then, you know, flies to heaven and gets God's sacred name. Um, others say that she just right then and there sprouts wings and she flies, and she goes to a cave by the Red Sea and starts having great orgies 
sex with all of these demons and, and outcasts in that land. And then three angels came, tried to get her to come back. She said, absolutely not. Um, they said that they'll kill a hundred of her children a day. And she's like, great, I'll make more. Um, and then from there on, there's so many other stories that kind of start coming up and her, her myths take a completely different turn. Um, some say that she was the snake that comes back to Eden and tempted Eve. There's lots and lots of, um, art that was done for that. Um, there was even, there's even a, like a release, um, at Notre Dame that has, um, that uh, imagery, and um, then she was considered, of course, the succubus. She was considered, you know, the this child-killing monster. You know, she was. Um, there's some some people suggest that she was the reason for circumcision. Um, some say that she was the reason for the lullaby, and that lullaby meant Lilith away <laughs> at the time. Um, so she essentially just became the this big boogeyman. <laughs> Um, if you will. And uh, it wasn't until um, the last hundred years or so that she started to kind of reemerge herself. But it's interesting, too, because we have two beautiful paintings that came of her um, in the 1870s. Um, so we have uh, Dante Gabriel Rossetti's version of her where she's holding a hand mirror and she's all glamorous because there's so much folklore out there about how mirrors are, are the gateway to Lilith's cave and, you know, she possesses people with vanity through the mirror. And um, then there's the other famous one of her naked in the Garden of Eden with a snake wrapped around her. So she, she started to really infect people's minds, the artist's minds. Creativity is a major thing for her. Um, and then we had her being named on the astrological points. And then slowly but surely, she ended up becoming talked about within the witchcraft and the pagan movement that was going on. Then she was adopted by the feminists as, as you know, poster girl for feminism because of that story about Adam. Um, and then from there, oh, lots of television shows and, and books have been written about her. She's been a, a, a great villain for a lot of shows. Um, but even prior to all of this, uh, if we go back 5,000 years, Lilith's origins come from Sumerian times, uh, where she was considered a wind spirit and a sacred prostitute uh, to Inanna and Ishtar. And there was even a Gilgamesh poem that was chiseled into stone that they've been able to recover. And this is a really interesting story about um, Inanna having this sacred garden with a halubu tree, which is basically a willow. And uh, there's snakes at the bottom and a bird at the top and Lilith's in the middle and Inanna cries and she has the great Gilgamesh, who's essentially Hercules, come and cuts it down and kills the snake and Lilith runs into the wilderness. And um, that story is just so very similar <laughs> to this, the, the other one that was created about her. It was Adam's first wife. I mean, when shit gets real, Lilith runs away. She runs off into the wilderness. Um, so, yeah. That's the that's a very very shortened version of something that we could talk about all night. <laughs> well, certainly, and, and and those who join your tradition, those who learn more deeply through your tradition, do spend a mm-hmm. lot more time discussing and learning the the hundreds and thousands of possible nuances in all of that, mm-hmm. and how it is a yes. deeply rooted, and how it is a deeply rooted aspect of our imaginative engineering, our onological mm-hmm. programming of where we're at. Mm-hmm. And now that we're yeah. seeing it, see, I 
see, I'm a big believer that we are. Uh, I think uh, Neil Garman, uh, the American Gods, did a great job of what of, I always yes. believe is the way the guys worked. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how 100%. That and, and I I haven't read the book, but I have, I have loved the show that's come out um, on American Gods. And the character that is Bilquist um, is essentially Lilith, because Bilquist was the Queen of Sheba, and Lilith was considered the Queen of Sheba. And I will say that that mm-hmm. character and that the, the way that she's represented, I think, is probably one of the truest versions of how I see Lilith. Um, very sexual and sensual and um, not really on a side. She's on her own side. She travels in between the, the, the worlds and the realms, um, the heavens, the hells, all of those different things. Um, and I love that about her. I don't love the myths of her being um, like the, the wife of Satan and all of these other ones because, you know, at that point, you know, Lilith ultimately was demonized. She was demonized and she survived for the last 5,000 years continuously while other deities got, um, you know, they, they fell. They disappeared. Some of them we don't even know about anymore. Some have been resurrected a little here and there. Well, um, and even like in the show, we have these, the, the new gods that we are, we are worshiping that might not have names right now of media and, and like social media and all that crazy stuff. But, um, well, absolutely. I, um, I just, I really, really love that. Go ahead. What's up? Please. No, go on. No, go ahead. I was going to say. Uh, I was I, just going to say hear. that, um, uh, you go. No, you go. I, you're my guest. They hear me all the time. <laughs> okay. So, um, I, all I was going to say was that, you know, I, a lot of times, um, you know, Lilith is glamorized in that kind of more negative role, queen of hell, all of that good stuff. And um, I just feel as though, like, I don't want to glorify or glamorize the demonization of something. Um, so I really work with her more in that more ancient primal state. Um, but I mm-hmm. do think that there is something to be said for the myths that were created about her because, you know, myths grow as as evolution grows and her story continues to unfold. Um, so there's definitely power in those mythologies as well. Um, Absolutely. Something that truly resonates with me. So I've noticed something in your story that I never realized until you said it. It might be interesting in today's sort of, as everybody knows, I believe that we are at war. And as everybody knows, I think that we've been at war for a little time. Hmm? Mm-hmm. And it's a cosmic war. We're in a war of belief. Mm-hmm. We're really in a war. To, we Reality is getting soft around the edges for people, and people are starting to really notice it. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is what we think we believe is is getting deteriorated on a daily basis. They're saying, well, yeah, you thought an atom was the most indivisible item in the world. You were taught that in the mm-hmm. 50s and the 60s, but that's not even radically even true anymore. We're talking down to... Um, as I was talking today, I was talking to somebody about the, the taste of quarks and in in, in the essence mm. of casting a spell. Mm-hmm. So our scientific reality continues to expand. The size of the universe mm-hmm. since I was a kid has grown several billion light years in size. When I was mm-hmm. a kid, I was taught that we thought the, 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 the entire universe was seven billion light years old wide. And how awesome was that? 
not even close to being the truth. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. keep going this. And one of the things I was grown up with, and I, I'm, you know, actually to be known as that the pagan, is the idea that we have a psychological, a, a sort of same world that we are, the social media just turned into a factory for our minds, is the idea that we generate yeah. memes. And no matter what has happened, Lilith, Eris, these powerful, iconic women have stayed in the background and have not been lost, even though tons of male gods have been lost over the years. There's lots of male gods that will mm-hmm. probably never see the light of day. Hmm? <laughs> because the only seven statues built to them are deteriorated in the middle of the desert because the other gods didn't like them so much. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not true of Isis of 10,000 names. It's not true mm-hmm. of Eris. It's not true especially of Lilith. Hmm? In every yeah, but the, religion, the really interesting thing Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, go ahead. You're my guest. You're supposed to well, so, interact with me. I, um, what I think is really, really fascinating is, is that Lilith survived by being the adversary. You know, she – it's like, you know, even if we look at, like, American Gods, for example, again, I love that example where it's just kind of like, you know, if we – deities, they need our thought. They need our – they need our worship in a way, but just they need to – to be thought of uh, and acknowledged in order to survive. So Lilith was just kind of like, fine, okay, whatever. You're going to hate on me? Then hate me. You can call me a demon. You can call me all these things. It's not going to change underneath what uh, my character is, what I am to be representative of. Um, Thoughts and ideas surrounding her have changed. You know, she was a demon to a lot of people because culture was so against what she represented years ago. Now people are starting to wake it up to her. We, we're seeing the equality. We're seeing um, civil rights movements. We're seeing the sexual revolution. We're seeing sexuality for pleasure rather than procreation. Um, you know, we worship what I call flirtility now more than we worship fertility. Um, sexual gratification, and that's all Lilith. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, okay. It's also... Okay. Okay. Stop, stop, stop. My audience is not going to accept the fact that I let it go. Back up. Okay. What did you say? <laughs> About flirt what? Titty? I said a lot of stuff. No, flirt. Flirt. Say that again. Lots of um, so I was, flirt. Yes. Yeah. So I was talking about, um, you know, how – how just if you look at some of even the the movements that have been happening in the last hundred years, civil rights movement, sexual revolution, all these different things, Lilith is an underlying current to it. Um, as we start to bring in equality and we start to look at you know sexuality from a, more of a pleasurable standpoint rather than procreation. Fertility culture. That was it. I got it. So thank oh, you, the fertility culture. Yeah, so I make a joke in my book. Okay, go ahead. I make a joke in the book that, like, we're in we, – we, as a culture, um, now worship flirtility, touchscreen gratification, rather than, you know, how sexuality was worshipped more in a um, fertility aspect a long time ago. Um, I just kind of a play on words. I think it's interesting because uh, we, we've shifted. We've changed. We've evolved. Um, and, and that's uh, worth buying the book for nothing else. There's no other reason you've got to buy the book for that. Oh my gosh, that is such a cool concept. I love yeah. that. It's mm-hmm. it's um 
it's way totally, you know, and so in the, so where we buy the book, you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get mm-hmm. it on Barnes and Noble. It's even at Target. Um, you can also go to whichwaymagazine.com and order it from there. Or my website, theglamwitch.com, has links to all of the different places. So, um, And also check me out on social media. Like, I know that there's still a couple of giveaways that are going to be taken and, and um, being distributed at some point. So if you have Instagram, I'm at the.glam.witch. Um, or Michael Herkus, find me online, uh, Facebook, all of that good stuff. Um, but what I lo- so it's, I want to kind of also break down the book itself and kind of how I structured it. Now, this is we're talking about the sexuality stuff, but um, you know, it's broken really into four different parts. The first part, of course, it starts with um, an introduction. Fiona Horn wrote a lovely forward to introduce the book, so that starts it. Um, then followed my introduction of how I came into everything and what led me to this this place. Um, and then it, it goes into the first section, which is considered the theory. So breaking down Lilith's history. And then it goes into um, the practice. So, you know, uh, how to meditate, how to make contact, how to do a ritual for her, um, dreams, all of that that interesting stuff. And then also the laws that um, I can consider the Lilithian laws. Um, and when I was trying to kind of really look at how I can define the laws of Lilith, I mean, laws are kind of really anti her. You know, she can't be confined. So they have to be so free enough to the point where they, they're they not um, like having someone be like submissive to something. So my laws, my Lilithian laws are essentially to see it, to own it, to flaunt it, indulge in it, and defend it. And so the whole section, the next section of the book, talks about each one of those. Each one has a chapter because they connect to a specific magical practice as well as an epithet of Lilith. So seeing it, that's um, what I call vision craft. And uh, that's essentially just your psychic power, being able to pay attention to the signs and synchronicities because Lilith is a gatekeeper to occult wisdom, and she speaks to us in riddles. So we have to be open-minded to it, know how to pull that language apart and understand what a deity is trying to tell you because they don't speak to us in our language, you know. And um, so then we get into owning it. That's the shadow work that I talked about earlier with the astrological aspect of Lilith um, and trying to integrate your shadow self into your whole self on a magical platform. And then the glue that holds it all together is the middle piece, flossing it with glamour magic, creating a presence, a persona, how you want the world to see you, how to attract attention, how to push it away. Um, and that comes with Lilith being associated with mirrors and being associated with vanity, um, confidence, um, and also being considered a shapeshifter because that's kind of what glamour is. Um, we dress for the different jobs that we have. We all have many, many different roles, and we dress according to that. So um, dress and aesthetics and how we present ourselves are very, very magical um, and something that we all kind of do, but we don't necessarily give it as much magical thought. So then we come into indulging it, and uh, that's, of course, sex magic. And um, teetering off of the differences between sex magic and magical sex and really just enjoying the pleasures of life. And that comes from Lilith being this, of course, sexual entity. Um, And then the last little bit of it is the bitchcraft of it all, defending it, magical protection. Um, I call what 
would call it magical fight or flight because I know a lot of times people will align Lilith to more darker work, hexing and all that kind of stuff. But if you really, really look at it, anytime Lilith was faced with some adversarial situation, she left it. <laughs> she leaves. <laughs> she just leaves it. Um, so that's a, an interesting chapter where I kind of split it into two and give the reader the option to choose which avenue do you go down in the face of adversity. Do you fight back or do you just put yourself into another situation so you don't have to deal with it anymore? Um, so that's kind of my nutshell of the contents of the book. Um, and then I have a last uh, section that goes over different formularies, oils, bath salts, ritual blends, um, a little weekend uh, witchcraft kind of magical makeover template for self-care, um, and a lovely little conclusion. So that's the contents of so the book the- right there. <laughs> All right. All right. So are we going to see a Glam Witch product line out of that? It sounds, that sounds really cool. Um, um, maybe. It's definitely something that I'm thinking about and playing around with, um, but it's just in the time. Oh, I think you should absolutely consider it. I, I think I, Let me go ahead and tell you. <laughs> um, absolutely. No, absolutely. You should absolutely consider it. I think your idea is correct. I think you're, I think you're spot on with where, you're, where your mind, m- thinking is. And no, I think <laughs> you should. I mean, well, thank you. Um, absolutely. We're starting to say, Understand, I see in our business, there's, there's, there's three very distinct economic models in our community. So just, mm-hmm. And if you'll indulge me for a minute, it has real relevance to what, what, you're, what you're doing because you are definitely involved with one of them in a big way. And I think, you're, um, I think you're a new point of view and a very strongly adversarial version of our economy as a pagan and a Wiccan. So mm. but the first one is, the first one is, no cost, no trade. You just, you're a witch, and you're a witch, and you're a witch, and you do what you do, and it's never about the money, and it's never even about the discussion of money. Version one. And that comes out of very much the, I'm the tribal witch. <coughs> and that's very much the family and the protector. That's our instinct as a tribal witch. How can we charge our family mm-hmm. members money? How can we possibly do, deal with 150 people we think are most important to us, our tribe, how can we ever make that possible? That's ridiculous. We're just going to do what we do. You're going to give me what I need, and we're going to just do this thing. And that's an economic model mm-hmm. that's very strongly in our community today. And it's great to be in our community for 150 people. Um, yeah. It's still the number one model in my community, I would agree. The number two model is, oh, it's okay to sell products and to write books, but you're really not supposed to ask money for your temple. Or you're not really supposed to be about the money. And we see this being the prime. I say, I think almost all of the well in office fall into this category. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the third one, and the, the group that I'm actually studying right here, right now in Salem, um, represents the witches who say the mainstream want our services. They've always wanted our service. They want our glamour. They want our magic. They want us, and this is a glamour community here in Salem, and that they are able to say, because the mainstream wants us this way, this is the way we love being, we don't have to hide, we can actually be allowed to, you know, to make money, to have a life, to travel the world. Mm-hmm. And the witches of Salem travel the world in a way that no one yeah. else, but they have now accepted deep into their core glamour magic. When you get here, 
November 13th, you're going to just, I think you're going to wow them. I, I really do. I think you, you were <laughs> to the center of that economic culture. And I think it's the economic culture of the millennial witches. So when I talk about people, mm. some people, when they heard me say, talk to you about, is Glam Witch product? And I go, well, yeah, but isn't there Skinny Girl product? Isn't that how she started? She made a few drinks, wrote a book, and mm. off she goes, and she's a billionaire. Hmm? Just yeah. a few months ago, very strongly, so the pagan community just about lost $8 million to Sephora. Because Sephora, I don't know why they backed off to this day. It doesn't make any sense to me. Putting out a beauty kit for witches. Mm-hmm. They would have taken $8 million out of our economy. So very much, I'm very much, and everybody knows what camp I'm in, and I've been in for 30 years. So when I talk about products, I mean, this is kind of one of those ideas. You didn't automatically reject it. This is very common to your generation, right? This is the idea. Isn't you're just, you're not just yeah. a witch. You're this whole person, right? Hmm? Totally. And so I, I, I guess, I, I think you can listen to me, but I don't know if you see that in the community. But this is something I've been dealing with a lot is this idea of the idea of it. And I really do believe. So Hoodwitch is another example of a young witch. I want to get an interview with you. If you hear me out there, please give me an interview. I know I'm an old bad, I'm an old community. But she has like 500,000, nearly 500,000 followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Doing witch Wow. Doing witch beauty stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. No, not only are you in the right place, but you've got the right instinct. But let me offer you one more. Let me look at one more thing with you. So do you think Lilith would have any value? So the Extinction Rebellion is really formed. I don't know if you know anything about it, but last Halloween, a great deal of many groups, including myself, made a declaration, no more, no moss. Uh, We're we're done. This is is a rebellion against, you know, for those who would protect Gaia. And the Extinction Mm -hmm. Rebellion's been out and everything out. And there's uh, pagans and druids and others are starting to join the group, and they're looking at rituals. Do you think Lilith would have any place? And I guess you said something very interesting, that Adam argued against Eve because Adam was all sand and clean material. Mm-hmm. Isn't that industrial society? Ah, you said, that makes sense. And you said, and it's the first time I ever put this thing together, the way you said it, is that she was made of the mud and the dirt. Yep. Isn't that what God She was is, considered made of the sediment, yeah. And I definitely see a connection between Gaia and Lilith. Um, I talk about yeah. it slightly in the book um, because, I, mm-hmm. you know, Lilith, um, she's connected to all of the different elements. And she's, you know, a wind spirit, so she's connected to the air. She represents passion and, and you know, transformation. So there's the fire. Um, you know, she's definitely our emotional shadow self. There's water connection there. Um, earth, she's connected to as well because she's always seen in earth imagery, so caves and trees and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, when it comes to, like, natural disasters of the world, the tsunamis, the mm-hmm. volcanoes, the earthquakes, you know, I kind of look at that as Lilith's rage at that point. She's shaking it up. Um, that's what she represents. And, you know, if we even look at, you know, that, that um, you know, her I won't lie below a man uh, reference to in, in that old context, you know, I look at that as kind of the earth saying, I'm not going to lie below the steel concrete of this civilization. And I, you, you can build it, but you're never going to break me because at the end of the day, I am earth and 
if I want to purge, I will purge. Um, and there's nothing stronger than that, <laughs> than me, the erected powers of, of mankind. So, um, so yes, I do see a, a similarity to Gaia and Lilith. Um, of course, they mm-hmm. both have two completely different energy types, um, and it's up to you if you believe, if, you know, there's one singular <laughs> goddess and she wears many different faces or if there's many different versions of uh, goddesses out there. But, um I think that there is some similarities. Because there's a lot of rage coming. There's like, I know um, Sir Elizabeth Carell is like planning a primal scream on Halloween Day. Absolutely. Mm. She wants to get women and men to just scream all at once. I think sometime in the morning, like 11, I think it's like 1130 in the morning. And everybody mm. scream all at once on Halloween Day. Hmm? Um, that would be fun. To let people know we're on wouldn't that be fun? Isn't it? She's, she's doing that. I know there's a lot of energy out in the resistance movement, and it feels very much like that's a, a place for Lilith out there. I make a recommendation. Absolutely. You do so well on it. I think you, you, I think you, you have not, I think your next thousand books are sold. If you can just break this down into a little bit into uh, your glam, into uh, TikTok. Believe me. Trust me. <laughs> the audience is there. Mm-hmm. Baby, I'm uh, Baby Witch. And Witch Mama, I think Glam Witch would go there. Uh, Uncle Witch, which is Alan, who's, who is another one who's doing psychology and doing book reviews, is doing an amazing job. So the vast majority of witches that are between 20 and 30 and even a little younger are on TikTok. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Oh. Just there. Uh, huh? I know and nothing about you. that, so I will look that up. Believe me, this is like 300 million views for something called a witch check, which is nothing more than taking your phone and running in nine seconds of Stevie Nicks tape that they give you, and then you show off mm-hmm. what you have on your altar. Oh, fun. So the glamorization. I so, love so my altar. Gonna, it's beautiful. <laughs> okay, so, so this is why you're bringing this out to me. So, okay, this, I've never said this before because you, you, this, this is the inspiration. TikTok is the space for glam witches. They're all glam witches. I've been calling oh. them consumer witches. I've been calling them consumer witches all week. Okay. The uh-huh. younger generation can yeah. We asked them. We asked them to be. We said we want you to buy our books, our incense, our crystals, our stones. Buy all the things we're selling you. And pagan leadership has been doing that. And then they go, "Well, you don't know how to do it the right way. You're not doing it my way." No, you told us all to buy your books. We bought all your books. We bought all of your magic. We bought all of it. <laughs> and so they're not. So they're not consumerist. They're glamorous. Because they're caught in the glamour of it, just like you were. That makes sense. Yeah. Which tech is exactly what And it's also a gateway. And, you know, yeah. I look at it like, you know, it's it's interesting because I think, I feel like I have, you know, one of the big feedbacks that I get from um, people that have read the book so far is, is how open and honest I am on page one that I, I got interested in witchcraft from television and movies and that avenue because I feel like it was like something that people just didn't want to say. I know I'm not the only one out there that, had the same situation um but i feel like it was always kind of a no-no like don't say that um or you know don't like go down this this witchy aesthetic kind of a way you know there are fashion brands that kind of glamorize witch right now that doesn't necessarily mean and like i, I think that's totally two different things when you have like the instagram 
witches who are just wearing it because it's 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 showcasing like power to them, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I, I also like when we talk about the Sephora kit. You know, I know everyone got their like super butt hurt about it. At the end of the day, I'm like, it could have been a gateway for some young little teenage witch like I was once upon a time ago that saw it and was like, oh my gosh, this is really cool. And maybe they actually come up to be a great member of our community at some point. You know, it's not well, necessarily taken away from the major stores because the major witch stores aren't selling that. <laughs> and at the well, end of the day, the frivolous things are going to die out here and there. It's going to have its little moment. But the people that are genuinely interested in it, the real consumers of it, are still going to be going to the authentic places. They, like. So I just didn't think I didn't understand why I got such a big crazy so uproar of because because it was a test of denial culture cancel culture mm-hmm. and a bunch of people saw it as a big company and didn't realize how business worked. In fact, that a small company which was smashed by proposed it to them and then Sephora said, okay, we'll guarantee your order. Gave them a big enough order. They went out and had it factored and put together for themselves. And while the company mm-hmm. wasn't the best company in the world, it was a pagan company that got smashed. Mm-hmm. It was women. It was witches. She, they just did a piss poor job of it. And uh, mm-hmm. it, I didn't it, know that part of it. it. Most people don't know who it got hurt. They think of Sephora as this big, huge company that works efficiently. But it's like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows, doesn't understand that Hollywood works in little bits and pieces. There are thousands of little patchwork companies that make and do it, and then there's one master company that does all the selling. It just mm-hmm. is. When you make a movie, there's 50 different companies that make that movie or are co- contracted to make that movie. You know, yeah, it's not just one singular. Studio. Huh? Yeah, right? it's not just one singular entity doing it. It's a, it's a lot of mil- – it's millions of little pieces and parts to it. And Sephora was the same thing. But because we became so anti-capitalist, we're so hateful of that idea of somebody coming stealing from us in the community that we come into this problem of Sephora being asked. No one asked who made that. And let me tell you, for their own thing, they deserved what they got because they didn't do a good job. Okay? I think the market Mm -hmm. always dictates. The market didn't want a witch product by a faceless group of people so badly that they fought against it so much. So what they did say is they, and this is what comes back to why I was mentioning your product, in which I'm starting to realize you're really, you're the forefront leader of your of your section there. Uh, congratulations. I always loved interviewing these because I want to go back 10 years from now when you're like got a couple of books out there and they're getting on the thing and you're talking to Ellen. Um, <laughs> I can remember. Oh, yeah. I said this. Huh? <laughs> Who knows what the future could bring, but that's not – as long as I'm doing something that's an act of service to the community, and I'm happy for sure. it. So we'll see what the future holds. But I'm a very creative yeah, individual, so I have some ideas. Um, yeah. And I I also love it, too, because, I mean, I, I I go to certain festivals and stuff, and I dress up, and I, it's like the clothing and stuff that I wear is just out there. Um, but I have a lot of fun with it, and I put a lot of effort into it to come up with my theme and create my glamour. And a lot of people are like, where do you get this? And what do you do? And it's fun because a lot of times it is just like these like hair clips that say witch or, or other things that, you know, before people were all up in arms about because major fashion brands are having witch and, and selling that in the stores. Like, oh, gosh, no. But like, but see, you could 
get it and wear it yourself and be proud and, and show showcase your craft in that way. Stop looking up and stop caring about what other people are doing. Focus on yours. <laughs> Focus on what you are doing. So this is an amazing. That's a whole other soapbox so, for another day. And, and we will have it because, you know, this is Chicago Peggy Radio. We have, like I tell everybody, we're going to be talking a lot more. We're going to get, kind of get our city going a little bit better because we have the most amazing people. And as we know, we've generated so many great ideas that come out of our city by individuals. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what you produce. So we have two last questions. Uh, I have two last questions for you today. Okay. So the next question is, I've listened to this. You're, you know, we, we told everybody where to get your book. You know, we are fantastic on Facebook. Mm-hmm. What can you tell to somebody out there? So, so you're talking basically to your 15-year-old self who's sitting in the classroom somewhere. And, mm-hmm. the, and the classmate to, to them, you know, two or three people next to them. What would you tell them if they were listening to this and they're hearing about this plan? What would you tell them? What should they do to take their next step? get them to a place where they can be like you. Hmm? Oh, you know, fun question. I've not been asked any questions like this. That's a cool one. Um, so I would tell them, you know, just grab anything that you can find. Grab all the material, reading material, and just soak it up like a sponge. Um, there are so many different voices of this community. And, you know, I learned by reading. I read everything. I absorbed everything. And that's how I learned what areas of witchcraft were exciting and interesting for me to go down. Um, So even if it's something that doesn't necessarily resonate with you right away, just go down that road and explore it because that helps you build your craft. But at the same time, realize that there's no, like, enjoy the ride of witchcraft. This isn't something that's instantaneous where poof, you wake up and now all of a sudden you have all this power and all this knowledge. It takes time. It takes time for you to build your practice. And the only way to do that is from the ground up and actually doing it, <laughs> doing the work, doing the research, being will, willing to be of service and willing to, to move forward into that. So if someone is is young and they're really, really looking to explore, exploring is great. Check out everything that you can get. And that way you can just kind of decide where to go from there. And then be patient and keep up with it. If it's something that doesn't seem right for you, maybe it's not. Um, there's always another different avenue to go down. So, for example, like I, when I was growing up, I was struggling a lot with because I, I've never had a desire to work with the dead. I've never had a desire to work with spirits in that concept. And I felt like a lot of things I was reading was all about you have to do that. And um, no, I don't because it doesn't work for me. And that's clearly not what one of my active roles or powers are within this lifetime. So I'm going to focus on the areas and the avenues that actually make sense to me. Um, so that don't be afraid to do, it, do that because there's no one right, true way to be a witch. <laughs> there's lots of different ways to be a witch. Make you yeah, a that's way. A real that's, truth. that's the only right way. Yeah, there's a real truism in that. Uh, everything else mm-hmm. and everything else. And so, um, so what is the future like? So where, where are you going? Where can people see you? How are you going to interact next with our community? Oh, right. Okay, cool. So um, I will be, for the Chicago people, I will be um, kicking off my fall book tour um, here this Saturday from 1 to 3 at Alchemy Arts. And um, I will be in um, New York uh, November 15th. I haven't secured a location yet, but hopefully a store picks me up. 
Um, but I will be up at Cheat Chicks Bewitched on November 16th, Saturday. Um, and I will be in Omen in Salem on November 17th. Uh, and it looks like I will be in New Orleans now, the first weekend in December. Um, but still trying to iron that out. And uh, I have a whole idea of a West Coast travel um, doing appearances that I want to do early next next spring-ish. Once I have a couple some vacation time all scheduled away and um and otherwise I'm just trying to get uh my blog back up and, and running and um contributing articles on Lilith and extra pieces to the book on there and uh mm-hmm. doing YouTube. I just got on YouTube so I might be doing some some classy uh some classes to speak to the masses um in that capacity. And uh now I'm working on uh, a new project that I can't really talk about too much yet, but um I I have a sequel coming up. Um, what was that? I was just saying that. I insist you talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, there's a lot. So, there's um, I'm doing uh, I'm doing what feels right, what feels called for, and what people are asking for. So um, people want more <laughs> apparently. So um, I'm very happy and blessed to have that opportunity and uh and be able to put it out there for everyone. So so um absolutely. I've been I've been actually thinking about we should do in Chicago, we should get all the packages which is we should do a New Year's Eve event. You know, new, I've been really thinking about something along those lines. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying That'd we be don't fun. do a lot. So Chicago people don't understand you doing anything in Chicago is really important and go out and support it because Chicago is tough. People, but the, people mm-hmm. don't know the misery of being in the Chicago Packers community sometimes, and we're trying to change <laughs> that. People, we have glamorous people in our community. Um, yes, I'm talking about that. Everybody keep calling Twilight. It's been Twilight. And she's just burning up the field. So talk about something in our community that has glamour. Who's who's really done it is Twilight York. Uh, do you know Twilight mm-hmm. at all? She's done oh, a really we've good met job. a couple of times, but I don't actively know her. Yeah, well, she's she's, she's just great. Like, Modeling, she's she's pursuing the modeling mm-hmm. aspect. The straight, uh, no, she's an earth spiritualist. Yes, I heard you, Twilight. Um, so the very last question <laughs> of the evening for Chicago is that if everybody knows that she's the official food of Chicago is the hot dog. I adore them. What do you take on your hot dog? Oh, you know what? I like the Chicago way, I like mustard and um. Some celery salt and a pickle, and that's really good. There you right go. There. And some onions. Yeah. A spirit after my own soul. There you go. Thank you very much. I really appreciate <laughs> you being on. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Oh, it's a, the honor's mine. And um, we'll follow up with you on this uh, absolutely because I expect you to be doing great things. And um, so one last time, you can buy your book through Amazon or, more importantly, through – and go directly to the publisher, people. Let's stop being so lazy. These pennies mean a huge <laughs> difference in this highly automated society, okay? A few pennies at mm-hmm. Amazon, you say, go, go to the publisher. Go directly. They'll make them more money. They'll publish more books. Um, yes. So that's www.whichwaymagazine.com. Yeah. Yes. No, that's an absolute truth, and I want people to understand that. Every time you use Amazon, instead of going to where there's an equally safe way to go directly to the publisher or the artist of our community, 
you're costing our community money. Hmm? Mm-hmm. You, and that means fewer books, fewer products, more to the industrialists, less to us. So any chance you get mm-hmm. to go directly to the artist. Remember, the pagan economy it works best when we work peer-to-peer, folks. Remember that. So the best way you can get my those great book, The Glam Witch, we talked about this incredible trip into Lilith's story, which I think everybody should read. And anyone who knows my thesis lately, I have to go ahead and read it myself. And I do. <laughs> you do. You really do. And then we'll I do a follow-up, and we can, we'll can explore more. <laughs> absolutely. And so go ahead and get it. So, so and, and absolutely. And this is an idea and a concept that you should take a look at. Um, I'm so honored to have you here tonight. And from here we say good night. And blessed be. Thank you. Have a great night. Blessed be. And everybody go ahead. And, you know, next show series we're going to be doing, we're going to be doing the Occult Bookstore. Um, It's now becoming the Occult Society, one of the oldest in the country. I believe the absolute oldest. We're going to take a look at that material. And we're going to be doing interviews with them in upcoming and amazing shows. I really appreciate it. And we keep finding all this really magnificent talents out there. So, folks, keep following, keep talking, and keep it going. And if you want to find me, you know where I'm at. I'm Ed the Pagan. Night, folks. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.